0: The path doesn't have to be straight. We have a and lot
1: more information. That we your can job is to have, to, have to know why hard. Hard. Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible inventing tomorrow starts now and here are your hosts vanessa alava and sue robinson
0: welcome back to we get real af everyone i'm vanessa alava and i'm sue robinson please remember to like comment and subscribe to the show Welcome back, everybody. Today, we are taking a peek inside the world of robotics and medical devices to learn how the human body rejects transplant tissue and how robots could potentially help fix the problem. Our guest is Dr. Emer Dolan, a biomedical engineer, joining us all the way from Ireland. Welcome, Emer. Welcome. Welcome.
2: Thanks so much, Sue and Vanessa. Um, I'm delighted to join you guys on the podcast,
0: so thanks for inviting me. We are so excited to have you on the show today and teach us a little bit about what goes on inside the human body when people have transplants. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I am a biomedical engineer. I did study biomedical engineering um, at NUI Galway, so uh, a number of years ago. What I do at the moment is I'm really interested in uh, medical device innovation. When any device is implanted into the body, the body senses this foreign object and it's, it tries to protect itself from this invasion, right? So it results in like a complex series of events, which is known as the foreign body response. It's basically the body trying to protect itself from any object that shouldn't be there, forming this dense fibrous tissue around the foreign object to try and kind of wall it off. It's also one of the one of the main reasons that implanted medical devices fail. So, you know, take things like... An insulin pump technology uh, for people with diabetes. This fine body response can really cause a problem and result in devices failing.
1: You had a really nice write-up in the MIT Technology Review, which led us to reaching out to you. Um, talk to us about the small robotic device, which were, is known now as what, the dynamic soft reservoir that you've developed through your uh, research and collaboration um, uh, with the Dolan's Lab.
2: Implantable soft robots represent a relatively new field. There's not that really many of them. And these types of devices can be implanted in the body for an extended period of time, and they interact mechanically with tissues to try and regulate biological function, to almost hide the implanted device from the body.
0: So my understanding, and you tell me if I've I've got this right or if I'm off track, you implant a device into a human body, and that body starts to form scar tissue or tries to protect itself against this foreign object. And so the robot that you've developed, the soft robot, agitates fluids around between the tissue and the foreign object to prevent that scar tissue from forming. Is that sort of the mode of action? Yeah, that's exactly it. How big a problem is rejection of these types of transplants, and, and why is this sort of technology needed?
2: Well, there are very high failure rates at the moment, and it kind of depends on you know the, the, the type of device. so things like breast prosthesis and it's actually called capsular contracture for breast prosthesis because the scar tissue actually starts to contract um they have failure rates of about 30 to 50 percent um you know some types of uh pacemakers have similar failure rates around 30 percent so it is a huge problem and there there are a lot of people working on trying to figure out ways to overcome this foreign body response so you know if we think about some people who get get transplants and they need to take long-term immunosuppression if they don't take the long-term immunosuppression then the the body will attack the transplant and it will result in it failing so you know we hear of people taking uh immunosuppression when they get their transplants and you know it's great because it allows the recipient to accept the transplant and it works it works well but you know for some people having taking the immunosuppression over a long period of time can cause some issues
0: so it's interesting to me because really what the human body is trying to do is protect itself from an invader. And most of the time that's a good thing because the invader is invading to harm the body. But when we're trying to put something in the body that will actually help it and the and the body rejects that, then that's the situation that we're dealing with here. And this is where soft robotics can be helpful.
2: Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's funny. I mean, it's it's an interesting problem as biomedical engineers that we can you know, spend so long trying to figure out and design solutions to problems. But then, you know, we need to try and <laughs> trick the body or uh, try and overcome this response. So it's it's exciting and it, it, it raises a lot of a lot of new questions.
1: What stage of R&D are you in right now with that study? And um, how long do you foresee before we actually see it uh, being tested potentially in a human body?
2: It's a long road for medical devices and um, to get them to the clinic. And I mean, that's a good thing because you obviously want your medical device to be very thoroughly tested um, before implanting it into humans. It could take between, you know, seven to ten years. You know, this is the first time anybody has approached this problem the way we are doing it. And um, so we're really at at proof of concept to show that, okay, we we have shown that this um, has potential, it could potentially work in a range of different applications. So, yeah, we have a long road ahead on focusing we're kind of focusing this technology um on you know the improving transplants for type 1 diabetes at the moment. And I think that's um, it has a lot of potential in that space because there's a lot of research happening in that space to really try and overcome this problem. Um, but I think it has huge potential in a, in a load of different um, applications.
0: Absolutely. As we come up with more devices that can improve the quality of people's lives and extend the duration of their lives, the sort of underlying technology that you're dealing with which is preventing the immune response system from (laughs) fighting those things is going to be incredibly important and i can see it being used across so many different fields of medicine um, and really extending human life so that's that's got to be kind of an amazing feeling what is it like to work on something like this
2: I think it's really exciting, and I think that I mean it's really uh, multidisciplinary. You need the engineers to you know do the design work, but then you also need you know uh, to collaborate with people in the medical profession to understand the situation, and also people who have a thorough biological understanding and of cells and and the immune system. And I think that's really important. And um, you know, I think I've been very lucky that I've always worked with uh, really supportive. Uh, people uh, on my team. So I think it really helps people asking tough questions to kind of figure out the problems that you're going to be faced with.
1: So I'm thinking of you and, and your team thinking of the human body. How would it react? We needed to do the opposite of what the human body is going to do to attack this This device is supposed to help it and then try to construct this thing made out of materials that are emulating what the human body looks like and feels like inside. So almost disguising it and making it do things in a way where the uh, the body isn't going to recognize it as an invader.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's a, a very good description of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's why biomedical engineering is so interesting because now we have to predict how the body is going to react here. Mm-hmm. And are we going to design for that, you know, or are we going to try and control that? So that, that's what I think it's really interesting
1: anyway. Hey everybody, Sam McLean here from InPhase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, inphase.biz. Thanks for listening.
0: Are there other technologies in this sphere that you work in that you think will extend people's lives or allow them to live more healthily in the future that you're excited about, that you have your eye on?
2: Another kind of stream of of what I am researching is um, looking at immunotherapies to treat cancer. Chemotherapies basically act by um, attacking rapidly dividing cells. They identify rapidly dividing cancer cells, but they also attack and kill other rapidly dividing cells, like, you know, hair cell, hair follicles, and and it does result in some effects that aren't intended. So immunotherapy is a cell therapy whereby it uses cells of the immune system. To attack cancer cells, and it kind of boosts your immune system a little bit, and kind of tries to train your own immune system to, to to fight these cancer cells. In a normal, healthy individual, the immune system kind of does that anyway, so it keeps these rapidly dividing cells in check. But cancer cells have figured out a way to disguise themselves uh, from the immune system. Immunotherapy, I think, has huge potential. In my group, we're also looking at ways of delivering immunotherapy in a more focused way, so. T- traditionally, chemotherapy would be delivered um, intravenous, so IV. So it would travel in the bloodstream until it reaches the target location, and then it attacks the cancer cells. But, you know, what if we could deliver directly to the target location? And we're looking at ways of, um, you know, implantable devices, um, where we can get really targeted delivery to the cancer site. um, And, that we can refill and um, so so we can keep refilling your immunotherapy to the target site without having a surgery or without causing you know pain to the patient which would mean then that we could get much higher doses of the therapy to the to the target side because it doesn't have to go around in the bloodstream. We're looking specifically at ovarian cancer um, as a start because you know that that's a really interesting and challenging problem Um, and the five-year survival of ovarian cancer the numbers are not great.
1: If you could put a device in that was super targeted um, it would just change the quality of the overall treatment of an aggressive um, you know pervasive killer so that's amazing.
2: We have a lot of development work uh, to do on it, but I think it it will be really interesting. And I mean, if we can improve outcomes, you know, that's the real goal,
0: right? Two big problems that we have to tackle. One is sort of taming the body's immune system to get it to behave the way we want it to. And then two, delivering precision medicine to specific targets in the human body um, so that you're not killing the healthy cells but you're just killing the bad cells Mm -hmm. and if we can achieve those two things what kind of an impact would that make on our health outcome for people with diseases like diabetes and cancer
2: I think it would have a huge difference on people's lives. I mean, very different diseases, diabetes and cancer, but mm-hmm. if you think about people with type 1 diabetes, you're wearing a pump, you're relying on the pump to to function properly and you're changing all the technology um, every couple of days and you know, you still are constantly monitoring your glucose levels and how your pump is functioning. It's like removing that level of worry and control that those people have to have. But for cancer, you know, even if you could keep those people out of hospital so that they could even administer the, the therapy at home themselves. Um, and, you know, if you were to remove as much of the off-target effects as possible so they could go about their daily lives as much as possible. I mean, I think that would be like a really great result.
1: So, Emor, I have a really, I guess, different and interesting type of question. The more and more soon I speak with amazing women in technology, we encounter a lot of times where products um, are geared or uh, created, developed for the men's bodies. However, there's also um, biometric things that are different in a a female versus a male. How do you account for those things when you're uh, developing soft robotics?
2: Yeah, so it's it's really that's a really great question. And it is really important. We are doing a study at the moment where we're looking at um, scans of we have maybe 700 patients with a collaboration that we have with um, University of Michigan and um, the the scans of the patients, you know, range in ages, all sizes and shapes. Um, so we're looking at, um, you know, is there statistical difference between male and female? You know, how they change with age, how they change with height, weight, BMI. Really, what we want to know, understand, is can we design the size and shape of the device so it will be suitable for. A, a range of, of patients. So that is actually something that we're looking at.
1: Emer, before we get into our lightning round, I'm curious and would love to know, biomedical engineering, what was your path?
2: Yeah, so I kind of had an interesting, well, a, a kind of an interesting path into biomedical engineering in that I didn't really know what it was. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I went to um an all-girls mm-hmm. school uh, you know in the west of Ireland and you know it was a really good school I think I was the only student in my year who wanted to do engineering I didn't really know any engineers and my, my parents kind of tried to explain it to me a couple of times but I'm not sure did they really know what a biomedical engineer was either um, but uh, you know I really liked maths and I kind of thought you know we do a lot of these suitability tests in um, schools in Ireland where you kind of do these, fill out these forms for things you like, things that you're good at. And um, mine kept coming back as an engineer (laughs) and um, I just decided to go for it. My parents, uh, you know, were always very encouraging. I wish my story was a a little bit more planned out, but, um, you know, I kind of just went for it.
0: good for you.
1: No, we love that. Yes. And we love All that right. you had encouraging parents It's time too. for the
0: lightning round and it's not as scary as it sounds. <laughs> These are just some questions that we ask to know you better on a personal level. So I'll start us off by asking you, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
2: Good question. I often thought that I'd like to be a doctor, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know, would I be cut out for it? That is, uh, you know, (laughs) a tough, tough career. How do you define success? I'm a very competitive person. Um, I've always been very competitive. And, um, you know, I always try to maybe be competitive with myself instead of being annoying to everybody else around me. (laughs) So I think that, you know, success to me is meeting the goals that you set to yourself.
0: What are three pieces of advice that you would give your younger self?
2: Okay, that's hard. I feel like I'm still figuring it all out myself. You know, I, I don't feel like I have all the answers, but um, have more confidence in your work or, and your decisions. And maybe think bigger. I mean, why not? And another one would be to keep reading as much as you can. I think that, you know, you learn so much from reading academic papers. And last bit of advice, Um, maybe advice that I could give myself now would be to stop checking my emails all the time.
1: (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you. All right. What resources do you wish existed for women in tech or looking to get into tech?
2: So I think that um, it's really important for women to be visible. I think that, you know, if there's somebody who doesn't know what a biomedical engineer is and then they see a biomedical engineering researcher or lecturer, you know, talking about their research. I think that's really important. We do a lot of school visits and I think there's physical um, meetings. But, you know, now with with um COVID and everybody being a little bit restricted in movements, online resources, you guys and your podcast, I think is great. Um, I think it it gives good insight into a huge range of different um careers that women are doing well in. So
0: I think it's 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 really cool. That's the goal. (laughs) That is the goal, That's right. Okay. Emir, what is the weirdest food you've ever eaten?
2: Some, some things I cook myself, I guess. Would be- <laughs>
1: <laughs> what celebrity would you cast to play you in a movie?
2: I don't know. I gave a seminar recently and somebody uh, told me that I was very like Amy from the Big Bang Theory. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you could start a movement that was guaranteed to go global. What would that movement be?
2: Um, I like I like this 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 work that you guys are doing with promoting women um, in science and and tech and STEM subjects. I think, you know, I I mentioned in a previous answer that I think that's really important. So I think, you know, visibility of uh, women in just doing really well at what they do and in high ranking roles is 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 important. Agree. So that's what I do. I, I jump on board with your podcast. All right. Yay. <laughs> yes, I, I love that.
1: <laughs> what myth about women in STEM
2: would you like to dispel? Sometimes you hear things like that, that, that women are just not as naturally good at STEM subjects than men, which is not true. Like in biomedical engineering last year, I think our top maybe four or five Ranked students in the class were all women, which I think Yay. was great. It was great to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So you started out uh, not knowing what a biomedical engineer was, and now you're doing this badass research in biomedical engineering robotics. How have you surprised yourself in your career journey?
2: Right now, I'm not working on what I started my PhD on, um, and I've actually kind of changed not not so much changed fields, but changed kind of research area or kind of niches um, a couple of times I think that's very valuable to me because I can take what I've learned from all these different areas to research what I'm working on right now but you know some people might think that you need to stick to a specific area to find your, your niche and really kind of establish yourself in that area. And, you know, for some people that works and that's fine and, you know, it's great. But for other people, it's just a different path. So I think that figure out your own path as opposed to trying to follow these kind of rules.
1: Yes, break the rules, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The last one fill in the blank blank like a girl, boss. <laughs> <laughs> boss babes <I'm> <laughs> like be a boss like a girl absolutely
0: we really appreciate your time today you're doing great work keep it up this has been such an interesting topic and will hopefully
1: help change the quality of treatment for people around the world how can people connect with you online
2: yeah I'd love for people to connect with me online and um, the best way would probably be through my Twitter account um, so my Twitter handle is at Emer B Dolan so it's It's at EMER E-I-M-E-A-R-B-D-O-L-A-N. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed chatting to you guys today.
0: Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, And to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. And we want to give a special thanks to Florence Lumsden, our associate producer for the We Get Real AF podcast. You can find Flo on LinkedIn at Florence Lumsden, L-U-M-S-D-E-N, or at her website, danceandflowproductions.com. That's D-A-N-C-I-N. FLO Productions.
1: We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.